welcome to the Anti-Architect Podcast. I am your host, Christian Giordano. As president and owner of the design firm Mancini Duffy, I am driven by a quest for learning and radically changing the industry. With this podcast, I'm hoping to improve the industry that I'm so passionate about by taking a critical look at how architects work through a variety of voices and shared experiences. Hello, Anti-Architect Podcast listeners. I'm excited to have Samantha Josephat Medina, RA, as my guest here on the Anti-Architect Podcast. Samantha is a Brooklyn-based architect, interior designer, and founder of Studio 397. She founded her firm in 2017 after working for about six years at various corporate architecture firms in New York City. She holds a Bachelor of Architecture from Penn State University and has served as president of NOMA, the New York chapter of the National Organization of Minority Architects. Her firm, Studio 397 Architecture, provides all types of design from residential to commercial and explores how to harmoniously blur the boundaries between architecture, interiors, product design, and fashion. They are licensed as well as LEED certified in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Tennessee and are certified MWBE in New York and New York City. I was connected to Samantha through my amazing partner and CFO at my firm, the one and only Bola Williams Ali, and her She Builds Waves event series. You can hear more about her on episode one of this podcast. Samantha, I'm super excited to have you here and have this conversation. Thank you for agreeing to come in. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited about this conversation. Awesome. So I left some things out of your intro on purpose because <laughs> I, I wanted to I wanted you to express them in, in your voice. Um, so I looked up some statistics on the NCARB website. And there are about 120,000 registered architects in the United States as of 2020, and most in California, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, of that, 17% are female, so that's about 20,000 or so. Can you tell our audience why the firm you founded is named Studio 397? Yeah, so the firm was named Studio 397 because after I got registered in the state of New York, I found out that I was the 397th licensed black female architect in all of U.S. history. And so when I found that out, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I graduated with a high school class of like 350. So I was like, how is this a thing? And so I was like, you know what, let me mark this time in history so that we can monitor our growth even more as we continue to increase those numbers. That's beautiful. Yeah. So this is not a trick question. I don't expect you to uh, to know the answer. If you do, I'll be I'll be impressed. Uh, but I, I looked it up. So <laughs> uh, do you know who the first African-American female architect was? Yes. So from my understanding, it's Beverly Green. I have Nor Norma Merrick. Norm See, these things get mixed up. It's. <laughs> You might be right. I might be right. Who knows? So, right? but my the I'm whole sure thing, there's people out there that will check us on that. I'm sure. Yeah. So it, uh, this was according to Google. So who knows? But that was in 1954. And so my point is that that was 67 years ago. Wow. So in 67 years, That's you become the 397th, right. which is uh, it. It speaks to a lot of different issues, obviously. Um, I, and so I guess my, my question is, you know, why is it why was it important um, 
for you to be recognized in, in this manner? Because it's for me, it was realizing that I'm also a pioneer in my time because there's not 397 of us at that time. It wasn't 397 of us, you know, some had passed on. I'm in New York city where there's lots of construction and to know that, like, I probably know like a large amount of black female architects in relationship to other architects throughout the U S or throughout the world, knowing that that number was still very small and that we still have to be pioneers within this time. It was it was kind of something that I was like, I need to tell this story whenever I'm meeting someone without having to always tell this story <laughs> right. every time I meet someone. And so for me, it's been very exciting because as people meet me or meet the firm, they learn about that narrative and then they understand like they have a, a larger picture of like why you only see one of us in the office sometimes or why you don't see any of us in the office and how that is an issue. Um, but what's been really beautiful is when I'm on project meetings and I hear people say Studio 397, it's like they know the story. And so yeah. it's like this doesn't stay within, you know, the black female circle bubble like this story is getting out and people are being a bit more aware of knowing the importance of, you know, diversifying our offices and increasing those numbers to reflect what our society looks like, what our society is becoming. And so um, I'm just happy that I can get that narrative out beyond our our, our bubble. Yeah, it's exciting. And, and I, I love that idea. I love the fact that you, you, you obviously need the firm that and exactly what you said, it's this, you know, you, you're saying it without saying it right. And, and it becomes just something that's known. And I think that's more because in the end, you want to be known as an architect. Exactly. You know, and it doesn't yes. matter what, you yes. know, what race yes. or, I'm or, so happy or anything you, said you that are. Because <laughs> that's, that's also a thing where it's just like, I enjoy getting awards. I enjoy getting um, acknowledged for the work that we do, but I also want to be acknowledged not just as a black architect, but as an architect, yeah. as a designer. And so, like I said, I don't really want to tell the story like flat out, but the story is there to be told. And yep. and what we do and what we look like is a representation of that story. We don't have to say it right. out. Right on. So. I, I think that's great. Um, and so it, in the same context, uh, Tell us a little bit about your previous work experience and kind of the various firms that you worked at and what your experience was working there. Yeah, so I worked at a range of different firms from um, companies that did uh, more institutional work from like transportation projects here in New York to recreational facilities in New York. That was at a smaller engineering firm called SRW Engineering, as well as Gannett Fleming. Um, and then, you know, I moved on to Corgan, where they did like a lot of aviation work. Um, and then I was at HLW, where we did a lot of corporate interior projects. And so I have a range of large scale <laughs> projects. But then when I started my practice, everything was like really, really tiny scope so it's like I had to like learn an entire new sector of architecture and understand like certain processes that I didn't have to learn when I was in these larger firms and so that's been a big learning curve but sure. you know thankfully we've moved on where we're not moved on but we've been growing responsibly in a way that we're still working on these smaller residential projects but we're getting you know work with these larger commercial projects now that kind of align more with my experience as well as my partner's experience okay got it and so when you're at these other firms uh what, what was your role there so my role wasn't in my mind 
that important until my last job at, I wouldn't say that important. I mean, everyone was important, but I was a, a junior at most of those firms. Right. Um, and there were times where I was working at some of these firms where I had, you know, three, four years of experience, but I was labeled the intern and people with <laughs> younger, le less experience than me um, was telling me what to do and stuff like that. And so that was a very frustrating time where it's just like, when when is my value going to be recognized um, apart, when I, apart within my team? And so sure. that was an issue that I started seeing when I was going from firm to firm. And that was one of the reasons why I started 397, because I was like, no one's going to recognize my value unless I show people what my value is. And if I don't have the opportunity to show my value, then how will that ever be recognized? And so that was one reason why I started Studio 397. Um, or there were times like when I was working at HLW, um, I did have a, a major role on one of the projects I was working on where I was the architect as well as the interior designer, but I still wasn't valued and I brought it to, you know, um, the leadership's attention and there was no result, you know, a, there wasn't a positive result coming from it. And so at that point I was just like, look, I've gotten licensed. I learned a lot during that journey everybody doesn't know anything well not everybody doesn't know every everything but most people don't know everything and when i realized that i realized i can go out on my own and anything i don't know i could go find the answer because i realized i was very resourceful and so having that confidence made me take that leap of faith to just go out on my own and figure it out and i have that, no regrets at i love all. it so so that what you said there is you realize and it's funny that you do you you realize this as life moves on that well, maybe people don't really know everything that they're doing. Yeah. I mean, they have a knowledge base yeah. that, and it's not taking away, you know, any credit of anybody. But you're right. You you realize as you go like, oh, hold on. Wait a minute. That person really doesn't the know that. The expert doesn't know. Yeah, yeah. So why couldn't I just do that? Yeah. And at first I was a bit fearful with telling anyone I was doing it because I was like, everyone's going to look at me and say, oh, she's so young. How is she doing this? But I'm not going to lie. Now I just like... <laughs> I'm like, look, I'm doing it and I'm still young. So <laughs> yep. it's working. I, I agree. And you got to listen, you got to take risks to have any reward. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I that's realized how I'm is. a risk taker. Like I've been taking risks since the day I graduated high school. And <laughs> I think that's second nature to me, too. And I felt like when I was at these other firms, like I couldn't be my 100 percent self. I couldn't take those risks. I couldn't take those challenges to challenge myself to grow. And so, you know, I put matters into my own hands and I made it happen. Yeah, I read um, in an article that was published about you. You said the, the bureaucracy of the profession was making me lose my passion for architecture. Oh, yeah. Like so can you explain? Yeah, I would work these crazy hours and then I'll be on the train going home and then I'll be like okay I'm gonna sleep for four hours and then I gotta get back up and do the same thing I was just like what is this and you know Instagram started getting popular and I would see everyone posting all these beautiful architecture pictures and I was just like I can't even enjoy architecture I'm too busy to even enjoy what I do yeah. I'm too busy to enjoy the results of you know all these fabulous architects and designers and I just felt like I that that passion was slowly dwindling away and I kind of think I was also going into depression at one point in time where it's just like 
nothing made me happy. I would stare at people on the train and say, wow, I wish I could smile like them. I have no idea what they're smiling about, but like, <laughs> I wish I could smile like them. I was just like so grumpy. And I was just like, this isn't me. Like everyone yeah. usually loves talking with me and socializing with me. And I was just like, I don't want to lose myself because of the profession. So I was willing to like walk away. Yeah. I remember when I was working at, you know, a, a, a corporate firm and I was busy. Right. And I was always working and working and working. And I, I tried to describe this to my wife at some point, like, but I was bored. Like, it's a weird thing, you know, that you, you could be so busy yet be bored. And I, yeah. I would have the same kind of feelings. Like I'd walk along and I, you'd see like someone, you know, whatever, even, even someone that, you know, had probably not a great job or, and you'd be like, oh, I'm so jealous of that yeah. person or, or like someone that could, it, one of the things I think about our profession that's tough is that it never ends, right? Yeah. You can always do more. You can always you draw more. You can always think about something more. You can always specify another version you can always you know there's always right, more and exactly. more and more and sometimes you do if you're if you're honest with yourself you get jealous of you know the guy cutting the lawn I because mean, at the, the end of the, the day he puts it away it's like wow like <laughs> honestly it might be a bit more fun to just give people coffee in the morning that's right because when your job's done it's done it's done yeah exactly you're not con thinking about oh should i've gotten given them a latte should i give them almond milk oat milk like <laughs> They've gotten what they gotten. Um, yeah, I would say like now it's the complete opposite. I have to tell myself to stop because I'm too anxious and excited about what I'm doing. That's great. And so it's just like, Samantha, remember, you still need a work life balance. I know you're excited about this, but like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, so from a diversity perspective, what does the future um, look like for ar the architecture profession from your view? Um. I can't tell you I have the answer to that, but I realize that there has been some change and I've seen it in like just the hiring of more minorities within firms. And I'm hoping that that action alone results in a way that, you know, now people have more opportunities to show their skill set and the results from that will, you know, continue, um, it, whether that is hiring more people or advancing people within their careers for uh, professional development and them not hitting a glass ceiling. That's my hopes. You know, when we were recently looking to hire, there were certain people that I knew that, that didn't have a job. And every time I reached out to them, they were like, oh, I just started two months ago. I just started eight. And I'm like, wow, I'm so happy for you but also like really sad that you can't be a part of our team and so um i have been seeing that within like um people like probably a year or two younger than me i've been seeing a bit more opportunities so i'm hoping that that continues because what i did notice on the other end was people from a diverse background that had more experience than me either was a hidden figure within their office or they decided to leave the profession because it just didn't work out for them. And right. a lot of these people had families to take care of. And it's just like, you know, I can't be this starving artist for too long if I'm trying yeah. to make more out of my life. And so, um, or you would have people that will go off and, um, you know, start their own practice, but those practices will remain small for like decades and decades. And so I'm hoping like the legacy of some of these minority firms, you know, um, increases as well as, you know, the opportunities for the young professionals or the existing profession, minority professionals in the um, in existing firms to increase. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And there's an, there's an overall awareness now, which I, yeah. think, I think also helps. And we'll, we'll get into kind of the, you know, the education system behind it, because I, I think that's ultimately key. 
So yeah, one one thing I would add to that is, I just hope it's not a performance and it's more of like. A, a genuine care to increase diversity. Yeah. Um, one of my concerns from last year's, you know, big turnaround within the industry and all over in other industries, I, I felt like it was a performance. And for me, I was just like, I do this every day. So I'm, I don't have to put on mm -hmm. my tap shoes and perform. I understand that people want to change. I just hope that that change, you know, is long lasting and it's not just within the moment. That, that that's a very smart observation and i will say from a firm like ours that is very diverse yeah you know it's one of those things where you know i wanted to say like hey look at us you know we've been like this forever yeah. what's the what's the problem here why why has it taken everyone so long to yeah. recognize this but then again you know and in, in speaking to others here at, at least it's something it's a start right yeah. and, and yes the the let's call it the the height of it may fall off but i think there's going to be some residual value yeah to and it. understanding the diversity in everyone's intent and rules because like not every black architect wants to do the same thing and so you know understanding <laughs> what everyone's intentions are and how they can play a role in the overall eco ecosystem of this increase in diversity because we can't do we all can't do the same thing we all have to play our specific roles right so. right absolutely so if you had to pick one thing that annoys you about other architects <laughs> what would that be that they stay within their bubble Okay. I yeah, that. I feel like sometimes as architects, we live within this architecture world. Mm -hmm. And I think it stifles us in regards to our values, how, how we're valued outside. Because, you know, we'll have all these beautiful conversations and lectures about architecture and, you know, what our fees should be and all of this stuff. But it happens within just our bubble. And then us trying to... Um, articulate that value to clients sometimes is the hardest things because they are not as exposed to what our process looks like. They're not as exposed to, you know, the nitty gritty things. And so if we can find a way to like get a bit more out there outside of the architecture realm. I like that. That's, so one of my philosophies and people have heard me say this here is be the only architect in the room. I love it. And it, and it always annoys me that we all do just stick together and nothing against the AIA and nothing against these. And we participate participate in all of that but it's all just standing around a bunch of other architects yeah. and how is that helping you know kind of get the word out of exactly what we do? I, th I think one of the successful like business approaches i took that kind of aids in our growth is kind of venturing out into other industries and getting our story out there and getting what we do out there in different areas outside of like our typical architectural realm because you know i started to get more publicity about certain things and you know one person would read one article and then they would want to read another you know write another article and you know i got traction from a lot of people outside of the industry and then the industry started looking at me <laughs> So and it, you just you become a better architect if you expose yourself to more. Absolutely. I mean, well, in your in the intro I read, I mean, I know you want to blur the lines between, you know, architecture and interiors, but then you also have fashion in yeah. there. So what, what does that mean to you? So I was working with uh, Brooklyn um, design. Well, she's in Brooklyn now. She was in the city at the time, Studio 189. And she's a fashion designer where um, her manufacturing company is out of Ghana. And 
I helped her, you know, put together or come up with the creative direction of what the set would look like. And I would provide her with renderings of saying like, okay, these are the, the pieces of clothing that you're going to be displaying. This is the theme that you want. Let's, you know, do this, that, and the other. And so not necessarily making fashion, although I always say like, I wish I could <laughs> make my own fashion because I never see anything that I exactly like. <laughs> but, um, you know, lending our architectural skill set to that industry in that particular way. Sure, sure. Um, so our audience would love to get to know you better. So you and I have, from what I've read, you know, our, the genesis of our interest in architecture uh, is similar. And as I've told on some other podcasts, you know, I think my interest comes from my mother and she loved, lo loves still to this day, trust me, <laughs> looking at, you know, going house hunting, looking at, at yes. houses. If there is a new neighborhood, it doesn't matter where it is. You know, it could be a multi-million dollar neighborhood down to a, you know, $100,000 yep, yep. neighborhood. I mean, she loves going in and looking at model homes and yep. or going to open houses, whatever that might be. And I think that's what inspired me to look at a lot of architecture in that way. And I still honestly, I love that stuff. If yeah, there's a model home, I, I kind of do it in a creepy <laughs> way these days where I'm like, oh, you know, they're doing construction in the house and I think the door is open. Let me just walk in yep. and see what's going on. Oh, we um, used to sneak into houses yeah, that were, yeah, at yep. night that were under construction. I, I checked the prices <laughs> for the house and I'm like, is it really at a good value? Like I'm like doing like this whole like investigation of like these, these new homes, whether it's in Brooklyn or it's back in Georgia where my mom lives, you know. Now, like I go a little bit deeper, though. I don't wait till the house is finished. I, if it's under construction, I'll look you still. The, you yeah. want to go in there. So yeah. is that is that how your interest was? was yeah. So that so we had moved from New York to Georgia when I was in middle school. And out of my two sisters, I was well, it's three of us. And I was the only one that would go with my mom house hunting. And I was just never impressed with what I would see. I'm like, why would you do this? Why would you do that? And so I remember going to a high school teacher saying, I'm going to be a builder. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah. I'm going to build houses that make sense. And she was like, do you want to build houses or do you want to design houses? I was like, I want to design houses, AKA a builder. And she was like, actually, that's not what builders do. That's an architect. And so she kind of exposed me to the world of architecture because her husband was an architect and she taught drafting class at the high school. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, where did, where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about, so I was born and raised part in Poughkeepsie, New York. And then when I started middle school, I moved to Marietta, Georgia. And so I finished middle school and high school in Georgia. And then I moved back up here and went to Penn State for college. And then I moved in with family in Queens because I didn't want to go back down south. <laughs> I was like, all this construction is happening here. Why would I leave this area? I, I totally agree. And what, what did your parents do? So my mom was a, a, a licensed practitioner nurse at the time. She's now a, um, she's one step above a nurse. I mean, a registered nurse. Okay. She's going to kill me because I didn't remember the acronym. And she's always like correcting me just like I correct everyone else. And my dad, he worked um, in hospitals as a supervisor for environmental health. So basically, like he would manage a lot of the janitors that would, you know, operate throughout the hospital. So as I'm saying that out loud, I'm like, oh, operations, maintenance. I'm like, oh, there is some type of connection. Yeah, 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 um, but my grandfather, he was a construction worker in Poughkeepsie, New York. And so oh, cool. we have like the strong 
strongest bond because like most people in my family go the medical route and I was the one to like be the rebel and say I'm not dealing with blood or any of those crazy <laughs> things I'm focused on building and so we kind of created a stronger bond when I was in college because I would come home and like try to like build things and he would tell me like oh you can't just use you know nails you have to use nails and glue and this that and the other and so like now like when he would come and visit us we would take him on project sites oh, and great. it's kind of awesome because you know he was a construction worker and probably looked at the architects like whoa these people that I could you know never you know probably sit in a room with and to know his granddaughter is an architect and she's walking these sites you know making some of these calls like is like a proud moment for him and so he Absolutely. like tells everyone about us <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that's great so so no interest in going into the medical field nope not at all <laughs> wow where your was your mom involved as COVID has happened? Was she so she um, she was doing traveling nursing, and so okay. she wasn't on the front lines dealing with COVID in particular, but she was still going from house to house, um, checking everyone's vitals because she basically checks um, her members are Medicare patients, and okay. so she has to like check their vitals every so often, and so that was still scary because I would say you're going into all these different houses, and you know eventually coming back home to my grandparents and so that was kind of like a scary time and yeah. you know making sure that she has all the protection she needs so going back to your education at penn state um i guess a question about kind of going also back to the diversity side i went to the university of miami in florida nice. and when i think about when i think back as i was kind of researching you and thinking about kind of well how what's my experience in college i actually had a I, th I think of the university of miami as an extremely diverse school i would believe that it's miami I, yeah it's it, a, i hope it my, is. as diverse as new york city is right i feel like in miami because it's such an international city and it's so in your face yeah um like i i went to school with with kids from all the caribbean countries south america africa i mean yeah. they all kind of came there so it was a very diverse experience so t tell me a little bit about your experience going to penn state so at penn state in my first year there may have been three black students me included and one black student dropped off and i don't know if that was just a vision or that person actually existed but um <laughs> that person dropped off in first year and it was just me and one other girl and we made it all the way through fifth year and her grandfather passed in our first semester of fifth year and her professor failed her and so i ended up being the only one graduating in my class um from my our bark degree as like the black student and oh, so wow. those numbers were very little. We had two Latina students and one Indian student. And that was our core diversity <laughs> team right there. So how was your education overall at, at Penn State? Penn State's education was good, but it was hard for me because I wasn't just learning architecture. I was just learning life like. I was learning all these different cultures and these different ways of living. Like I remember, you know, one of my best, my best friend now, she'd say like, oh, I'm going to our vacation home in Jersey. And I'm like, vacation home, what? Like <laughs> people do this and like you vacation every summer, what? My mom always tell me, go read a book. And so, <laughs> and so just learning different lifestyles and um, 
But overall, I think the Penn State education was really good in terms of technology and theory. Okay. You know, it was very heavy on theory, but it was very heavy on technology. And so um, technology, I think both were really hard for me because I felt like with the theory based thing, it was like art is subjective, you know, depending on like yeah. how your professor receives your project is the grade that you would get. And so for me, I was just always trying. Um, and then with the building's technology portion, I mean, everything was just foreign to me. So it was just a matter of just putting in the time and yeah. getting to know all of that thing, all of yeah. that stuff. But um, I realized by the time I got to fourth year in architecture, I realized I had to actually tap into my personal experiences in order to get to the end of my project because I felt like I was trying to like do what everyone else was doing or do what I thought was right. And it never really made sense to me. And I would have these panic attacks and I'd be like, okay, channel your inner Samantha from like when you used to double dutch or braid hair. And when I would do that, I would actually come up with a beautiful idea for my projects. And so I realized later in my um, studies that I had to like pay attention to who I was in order to like see myself through the process. That's fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. School's a weird it's a weird time because I agree the education system and the architecture, it's amazing because it's so, um, you, you touch on so many different different yeah. things, right? From the very technical to the very theoretical, mm -hmm. right? But I, I always feel like now, if I had to go back to school now, 25 years later, I could crush school. Like, oh. I know exactly what those I professors I mean, if I sit hear. in a room with my classmates right now, <laughs> I'd be talking so much. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, Samantha, who would just be so quiet staring uh -huh. at everyone. But one thing I would say in terms of the education that I wish I would have gotten was the art history being a bit more diverse because I only felt like I learned about European architecture. Interesting. Um, and like now that, you know, I do my own research or like learn about like Mexican architects and other architects in South America and what people are doing all across Africa. And so I'm just like, wow, this stuff is really beautiful. And I just didn't know it existed, you know? Right. Well, at UM, we learned a lot about Spanish architecture and I architects bet. and stuff <laughs> like that. So my, uh, I almost missed a lot of that other, yeah. <laughs> the, the more traditional things. Yeah. So it's it all is dependent on, on you know the if region i'm going to visit like i went to haiti and i saw like some beautiful architecture and i was like damn like i felt like school made me think that like where i came from didn't have the architecture that could stand up to you know architects you know within europe and stuff and like so like if i had that while i was in school i think that would have given me a bit more confidence too feeling mm -hmm. like you know i have something to bring to the table or at least my ancestors have something to bring to the table right and so like i think um increasing that within schools that have that lack of you know history from a diverse perspe diverse perspective can actually help the confidence of the students in the program sure sure i agree so so kind of going back to the the educational system right um when I look up the statistics for African American engineers and other professions, right, it's a lot higher. Um, so I found like uh, engineers, African Americans, are about ten percent, but the numbers are like a lot. Like it's hundreds of thousands, yeah. right? That are yeah. still that, right? And it's hard to parse out exactly what type of engineers, but yeah, you, know, you have so many. Different yeah, like there you fields, go, but... a rocket ship engineer to a car engineer to a mechanical engineer, which is really more of what I was trying to find the numbers on um but to me interest in architecture starts at a really early age um how do we get more african-americans to 
be exposed to that in 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 like really early, I'm talking early age like the Lego yeah Lego years so one is the exposure through these programs like Project Pipeline that Noma does or ACE mentoring and they're mm-hmm. good but again like our profession is so small like getting that outreach is hard but I, I feel like we've been d- doing a better job at exposing minority students but what we've been failing at is providing the resources that they need and if there's still a lack of resources those numbers drop off like crazy and so i feel like having the resources whether that's in high school or in college or even after graduation whether that is financial resource or if that's like a mentorship resource or you know some type of resource to get these people in the programs that can really support them to become an architect and not like start the process and fall off one one um, organization that I know very well is Nesby and they had a that's the National Society of Black Engineers and they had a very strong chapter at Penn State and one thing that I really admired about them was they always found an internship for each one of their members you know as a student and just being able to provide them with those opportunities was able gave them the opportunity to say well look at my resume I have experience or you know I've worked in this sector and one issue that I find a lot you know within our profession is if we're stifled with opportunities at the beginning it's hard to get that opportunity that equals our our level of experience and so you know if it takes someone three years to find a job they're already three years behind and you know but their lifestyle isn't three years behind and so it's always been a setback and so just for me like my biggest answer to a lot of these like big questions are opportunity like providing opportunities and that financial resource okay because like i remember when i was even looking for a job you know somebody was like hey i might have a job for you in oakland california i was like i can't even buy a plane ticket to get to (laughs) oakland so now i'm out of that opportunity and so it's just like things like that yeah yeah absolutely but i you know even ace is high school already right yeah already gotten to high school so people have probably dropped off and we've talked about this in our office and we've actually started some initiatives of how to get middle schoolers involved in architecture project pipeline deals with the middle schoolers for that exact reason um exposing them early so that they can get into a high school program if they have that interest or start talking to people because i feel like middle school is when you start feeling as though like you're an adult when in reality you're far yeah, from you, it you, you definitely you definitely are not but yeah, yeah i have a middle schooler trust me yeah she thinks she's an adult yes exactly. <laughs> so uh in your opinion uh what do architects do well and what do they do wrong like what's wrong or what's broken with the process um i feel like it i feel like that answer is one answer we detail very well but we detail too much sometimes. <laughs> we we pay attention to details, I feel like, for a longer period of time than we need to, and that, that hinders us from a business perspective. And it's weird, because now I'm always thinking from a business mindset than just a design aspect, but I do realize like it's our role to monitor the client with their expectations and what can be done within the time frame that they want it to be done because a lot of times we have clients say this is my budget this is what i want and i need it done at this particular time and we're like okay we we receive all this information and we start working towards those goals but then the client comes in with three or four different iterations and we're like hey remember you said you wanted to be completed by then or hey you remember you said your budget was this what your suggestion doesn't align align with your budget and so i feel like 
as architects, what we do bad is we say, okay, 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 a lot, yeah. and it hinders us. And But what we really do well is um, we really make it work. Like we do so many iterations that it <laughs> almost becomes perfect. Right. And so it's like we're perfectionists, but it's like to our yeah. detriment. It's I bet your grandfather would agree that we probably draw too much, you know, and because and the contractor, the contractor always comes at it from a very different point. They're of view. like, this is the answer. Let's get it done. And I'm like, wait, 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 let's think about this. Like, how does this feel? And, right. and they're like, who cares how it's feel? Like, we <laughs> got to get it done in two, two weeks. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> do you do you think the actual business model for architects needs to change? Yes, I do think the actual business model for architects need to change. And I think it goes back to what I was saying about exposing ourselves outside of the industry so that people understand the the breadth in which we operate. Um, one thing that we've learned, you know, just within the few years we've been operating is how we divide up architecture versus interior design and when we do it. Um, dealing with the DOB is oh, a process of its own. And so like now, like we focus on like the basics of getting the architecture figured out. And so while the review process is happening at the DOB, that's when we're like doing the interior design instead of trying to do everything yeah. at the beginning and then hand it over because we realize like time-wise like it, it just extends the project schedule a lot and a lot of times when you're doing single family residential you know people have these deadlines that are tied to their personal lives and so we try <laughs> to like address that but we have so many clients who are pregnant and we're just like okay this might not be ready when you're ready to deliver so have your home in yep. order like have your second home in order so that you know you're not screaming at us like as you like you got your baby in your hand. <laughs> so t tell me or tell us a little bit about you know, more about your firm, the people, the size, project types, things like that. Yeah. So we're still very small, um, but we are growing responsibly. And that's one thing that I'm trying to um, manage with my partner, who is my husband, Luis. Like I've seen a lot of firms like fluctuate and I know that might happen, but I, I, I really don't want it to happen. <laughs> not, not yet, because I feel like people's personal goals are in my hands in a way, because, you know, if we're giving them a paycheck every two weeks and I cut that from them, it's like someone's goals are denied. And so I don't want to be a part of that formula. <laughs> and so right now we're, there's a core four of us, like our fourth employee started yesterday yes. as we were celebrating four years. And so, um, there's four of us. It's me who is an architect, my husband who, is also a part owner he his background is in construction management and finance and so i pulled him over from the dark side over <laughs> to architecture um and that has been a very good valuable resource for us because sure. it makes our team very dynamic and you know we are approaching things from a lens of the contractor because he's just like you need to figure this out like this is your role samantha <laughs> or like they're gonna figure it out and it's not gonna be that beautiful design that you are he knows i'm very anal when it comes to like certain things so he's just like figure it out or someone else is going to figure it out and you're not going to like it. And so he works with me on details a lot because like I said, like I am a young architect and so I don't know everything, but being able to pull on his construction management experience has been extremely helpful for like one of our projects we're doing in Pennsylvania, which is a complete 
remodel of a single family detached home where, you know, we're doing wood framing. And I'm like, I don't know anything about wood framing. We've been in New York. And although like his experience is in concrete, like he understands yeah. certain details. And so we were able to like work through a lot of those things as far as like the curtain wall and the roofing details and stuff like that. And then um, Sharice is our, I don't know if she's our first or third employee. People tell me I'm our first employee, <laughs> but I see her as our first employee. Um, she, her background was in millwork. And it's one of those stories that I tell, like um, the reason why it's important to give opportunities to young professionals early on in their careers, because they can be set back. And I saw her on that road of being set back. She ended up getting an opportunity with a mill worker because she couldn't get an, a job opportunity in an architecture firm. And she was working with a mill worker for three to four years. And I, I was trying to help her find a job and she wasn't getting an opportunity. And when we were able to hire, she was our first employee because she was spearheading our project pipeline for our Nicoba Noma chapter. And she was phenomenal and her work ethic was amazing and I just knew like if we brought her on board I wouldn't have to worry about someone like not holding their weight and she has been like hitting it out of the park since we brought her on and so her experience is millwork heavy but I've been you know showing her the ropes of interior design and architecture and she's been doing a great job and then our fourth employee we brought on she was actually my TA when I was teaching at City College again saw her work ethic and I always kept that in mind and so when we were ready to bring, we just won um, a really large project and we realized we had to staff up. And so I reached out to her and said like, Hey, I was like, do you know, Reb? I, I, I DM'd her. She was just like, wow, I got a job through a DM. <laughs> I DM'd her and was like, Hey, do you know Revit? And then she started answering questions. I was like, so we're looking to hire, would you be interested? And then she was just like, wait, what? I thought you were just having a regular conversation oh, with me. And so you know, doing things a bit different, but having that diversity within like our team has been extremely great. And so um, we're continuing to try to have that diversity within our own office. One of my mentors, Richard Franklin, had told me, remember, Samantha, you're a small firm, so you can't afford to train everyone. You have to have people that have an experience that would add to the project. Yeah. And so we had to be mindful of who we're hiring, you know, as yeah, a small and firm. And let them go and, and do their thing and try in them yeah. exactly yeah. and and that has been a learning lesson too like letting go and trusting him right. transitioning between like still being that production worry, arm and, with that for the rest of your <laughs> yeah, life, so. yeah so oh yeah that's literally my struggle as of right now how did you start the firm did you did you take on money from anyone did no, you invest so your own how, how did you how did when you i that? realized i was ready to go off mm. on my own i was like hmm so I don't really have a savings to pull from because people would say, oh, you just run out of your savings. And I was like, that would be good if I had a savings <laughs> to run out of. And so what I did was I was resourceful and I reached out to a lot of small architecture firms who I knew the owners pretty well and said, hey, I can consult with you doing construction documents. And so for like the first year, I was just consulting with architecture firms, providing them with construction document services. And then, you know, I got one small project because it was too small for another architecture architecture office and so they pass it on to me and I slowly just started building my clientele from there okay and how do you go about getting your clients so it's weird like I've been trying to go after clients but they've been coming and so I haven't been going after way. yeah it's <laughs> it's crazy like you know just in February we're like okay we have to start like going after clients and then we got another project and then it just snowballed and so it's like we haven't really went after clients that I would I'll take that back. I think a lot of the stuff that we're getting now is through networking that I did 
in the past. So yeah. for example, one of our large commercial projects we're finishing up now, um, it was a construction site near where I lived. I saw a big hole in the ground. And I was just like, oh, what's going on? Did my investigation on Google. And I reached out to the development firm and said, hey, I'm an architect in Brooklyn. You know, I see that you guys are working on stuff. I'd love to collaborate with you guys in the future. And so I did a small zoning analysis for them in Harlem. But then when they were looking for interior designers for that project that I saw, they reached out to us to answer to the RFP. And we did and wow. won the project. And so a lot of those... Like a lot of my projects that we're getting now have been like from past connections that I made like long time ago, not while I was like, you know, seeking for it, like at that moment. Yeah. Like our Pennsylvania project, the owner found me on the Penn State website. And so like all these random connections. That's great. But but playing the long game is the best way to yeah. do it. Right? So Starting I have that learned... relationship, getting in and you never know where, exactly. where people are going to end up yeah. and call you. Exactly. So. I tell people now, like the net, the, the the network that you're building now may not be for the now, but for the future. So just like be mindful, like you, you got to keep going, like you're not going to see that result right away. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You, you've got to play that. And so how has COVID affected your business? So in terms of COVID and our business, I was already working at home, working from home. And at the time it was just me. And then within, it's weird, like we've been growing through COVID. Good. And I think one was because we won that project, that commercial project early on in COVID. And that's when I had brought my husband on and I was just like, okay, like let's do this. Cause the plan was, it's funny cause I was at Bola's event in January of 2020. And I said, the goal is for my husband, well, my fiance at the time to come on board at the end of 2020. But I got the RFP in February. We found out we won it, you know, I think officially in May. And so he joined in May. And so that was still COVID. Right. And so we doubled in size. <laughs> and then we got really busy with other work because of like a lot of the racial uproar that was happening and a lot of people wanting to do more work with minority designers. And so we had an increase in business then. And so our firm continued to grow. To and grow, so yeah. um, in terms of COVID, what was hard for us was just like visiting showrooms and vendors and continuing that networking in person because it is different than yeah. doing a Zoom call. And I got so tired of Zoom calls. Yeah, and agree. so um, I would say like that was our, our hiccup during okay. COVID was like the, the networking that we were ready to do as we were growing. Right. But that's good news. And now as you come out of COVID, you'll be able to kind of continue. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm so ready. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what, what opportunities do you see for technology uh, in our profession? So I think technology could be a really great way to connect us to the outside world, I think, <laughs> because I feel like technology is taking over so, so, such large aspects of our lives. We have no choice but to integrate it within our work. And so um, being a bit more forward thinking of like what's out there and how we could prep our spaces to receive new technology in the future. So not just designing for the technology that exists, but how do we prep our spaces for future technology and and that's kind of hard because literally devices change in size and you know connections but if there's a way that maybe we have that technology expert within our industry or within our firms if our firms could allow it to understand like what are the basics of technology and how you know we can modify our architecture as as technology changes sure sure wow um <clears throat> 
So kind of bringing it all back around and you're still young. So uh, <laughs> if you had to do it differently, as far as your career is concerned, what, what might you have changed? The only thing I would do differently is find more money to pay for school. I wouldn't change any other <laughs> thing. Like, cause I'm, I'm really happy where I got to. And I don't think I would get, you have gotten to where I am unless I went through all the crap that I went through. Not that I would tell anybody else to go through right. it, but for my particular journey, I've accepted it for what it is. It's just the student loans that are like a bane of my existence. <laughs> Even though the goal is by the time I turn 33 in September, they will be wiped away. Wow, congrats. So, That's amazing. Yeah. That's thank great. you. That's great. So, Samantha, thank you so much for being my guest here. I, I really appreciate it. This was thank an awesome you. conversation. And yes. thank, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm always happy with talking with other architects and not always just talking about architecture, just talking about life, you know? <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. So thank you so much. Exactly. For having You're me. an amazing guest. So, um, you know, there's obviously a lot more that I'm sure we can uncover. Um, you know, thank you for being an important voice as well in our profession. And uh, you've, you've only just begun. So um, I want yeah, really to give you some plugs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, to see and read more about Samantha and her firm, Studio 397, you can find her uh, on her website, obviously, which is studio397architecture.com. And is there anything else that you want to plug in terms of your... We are also on Instagram at Studio 397. Awesome. I keep it pretty simple because we need to operate very lean. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Trust me. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much. 